Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This message is sponsored by Amazon. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel, but now there are vaccines. It's okay to have questions. Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision about COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. We have a very special guest today. Dr. Mark Robert Rank is currently the Herbert S. Hadley Professor of Social Welfare in the George Warren Brown School of Social Work at Washington University in St. Louis. He is, so, uh, he is widely recognized as one of the foremost experts on issues of poverty, inequality, and social justice, things that we cover here all of the times. He has been the recipient of many awards, and his research has been reported in a wide range of media outlets, including the New York Times, Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, USA Today, and National Public Radio. He is a co-author of the book, Poorly Understood, What America Gets Wrong About poverty. Dr. Rank, welcome aboard. Thanks. Great to be on with you. Hey, look, we, we have a lot to cover. This is, a, this is something dear to my heart because I think it is something that need not be. I think it is a structural issue in our economy, a structural issue in our country. And I'd like to talk about this in detail. So first of all, what is poverty? Ah, great question to start with. Um, so generally the way that we thought about poverty in the country is um, that it's falling below a certain income level. So if you're uh, last year, if you were a household of four and you fell below around $25,000, you would be considered officially in poverty. Um, and that's generally the way that we have thought about it as falling below a certain level of income. And the result of that is that you really don't have the money to buy the, um, the needed um, resources um, to have a decent life. That is interesting because it's amazing that the number you said was about $25,000 for a family of four. I don't know where you live. Well, we're in, in cities, so I guess we live a different existence than others around the country. Um, now, what what is the reason that you would, th why is there poverty in a country that is so rich? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, and that's the, um, that's the paradox of this whole thing is that why do we have the amount of poverty we have in this rich, affluent country? Um, and basically the argument uh, that we make is one of the reasons is we have completely misunderstood this entire issue. Um, the way that we have viewed poverty in the United States is generally as an individual failing. That is, people aren't working hard enough, um, they haven't gotten enough skills, uh, they've made bad decisions in their lives and so on and so forth. 
that these are the reasons for poverty is the way that we often think about it. And the argument that we make in the book is that actually poverty is a structural problem. And that is, there simply uh, aren't enough jobs that pay a livable wage for folks to survive on. We don't have policies that protect folks from falling into poverty. And so an, e an easy way to think about this as a structural problem is to compare um, the United States with other countries. And we are at the very high end in terms of both poverty and inequality. And the reason for that doesn't have to do with people not working hard. It has to do with the kinds of policies and programs that we have in place um, that do or do not protect folks from falling into poverty. Now, let, let me ask you a question, uh, this one. This may be a bit, um, I, I hope I, I, I ask it the way you can answer it. Okay. Um, an economic system is human made. And an economic system assigns values to the work people do. How would, uh, how would a dishwasher, why is a dishwasher in poverty, somebody that's doing work that's needed, and a stockbroker never is someone that just pushes paper and do much less work? Well, I think that that's fundamentally wrong. And I think if you work, no matter what, what job you work at in this country, you shouldn't be in poverty. And I think that, um, you know, President Biden has said, has said a, a similar kind of thing, that if you work full time, there's no reason why you should fall into poverty. And so, um, and so what we need to think about is, again, this is a, this is a structural problem. The person that, you know, that's working at that low wage job um, is uh, working awfully hard, but they're just not able to, to get out of poverty because of the nature of work. You know, a, a way that I like to, to picture this, um, to think about this whole issue that you're bringing up is with the analogy of musical chairs. And if we have, uh, let's say we have a game here where we have um, 10 players and, and eight chairs available. And circle around, music stops, two people lose out. Well, why did they lose out? They lost out because they weren't as fast, um, they were in a bad position when the music stopped and so on. And we can point to those reasons for why those two individuals lost out. But if we step back and we say, but wait a minute, the structure of the game is set up so that two people are gonna lose regardless of what their characteristics are. And what we do is we're focusing on the losers of the game rather than why the game produces losers in the first place. And that's what we need to do. We need to think about, okay, how do we provide more chairs in this game? And the way we do that is creating better jobs, jobs that have benefits, having policies that protect people from falling into poverty. What we need to do is change the structure of the game rather than always focusing on who loses out at the game. Professor, that is magic. That is magic. It, you, you, I mean, you handled it. You, you, you pretty much said that they are asking the wrong question. Yeah. And they're asking the wrong question purposefully. And I'm going to I'm, I am going to go ahead and say tell you what I mean because it is in it is in the context of something that came with the literature of your book, 
where you say contrary to popular belief, the majority of Americans in poverty are white and very few of the poor live in inner cities. If those facts became more widely understood, how do you think the politics and policies around poverty would change? Before you answer that, that is fundamental because what we do is we create unnatural divisions so that we prevent ourselves from looking at the real problems. Please go from there. Oh, that is that is so on target that the way that we frame this issue, the way we, we understand this issue is that poverty is an issue of them, not an issue of us. And so we think of poverty through the lens of race and we think of poverty through this lens of individual. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Feeling. We think of poverty as, oh, it's something that's going to happen to somebody else and not to me. Well, that's one of the really big myths. It turns out, if you look across people's lifetimes, the vast majority of Americans at some point in their life will experience a year either in poverty or very near poverty. And the reason is for some of the things that we were talking about, that across a, a span of a, of a lifetime, things happen to people that they didn't anticipate. Uh, they lose a job, they get sick, a family splits up. And when those things happen, we don't have a lot in place to protect folks. The other thing that I would say with, with what you're raising, which I think is so important, is um, race, that, that race really overlies the issue of poverty. And we often look at poverty through the lens of race. And um, what you see is that countries that are more generous in terms of their social safety net tend to be more racially homogeneous. Mm -hmm. So you look at the Nordic countries and some of these other countries, countries that are much less generous tend to be racially and ethnically heterogeneous. And the idea there is that um, I'm likely to be more generous to other folks who look like me. And this is what we have done in this country is we've portrayed poverty as an issue of them rather than an issue of us. And we really need to change the focus and say, you know what? Poverty really affects us all. I'll give you one other example of, of why uh, we should think about it that way. I did a study a couple of years ago that looked at what's the cost of childhood poverty, the economic cost um, on an annual basis. What is that costing us? And what we did is we figured out that childhood poverty increases healthcare costs. It increases um, economic, pro it reduces economic productivity when children in poverty become adults. 
and it increases criminal justice costs. And so we factored all those things in. And what we came up with was in 2015, childhood poverty cost the United States slightly more than $1 trillion. To put that in perspective, that was 28% of the entire federal budget. So it's not as if we're not paying for this. What we're doing is we're paying for it on the back end of the problem rather than the front end of the problem, which is always more expensive. So again, we need to think about poverty as affecting all of us just not, and, and not just particular groups. I have to go back uh, to sort of what I alluded to in the beginning of the program, and that is an economic system being human made. And in saying that, the reality is that we are we are looking at us. I, I, and, and tell me if 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 you, cor- you you've been able to corroborate this. Is this true? Does this fall in line? And that is, in a in a inherently unfair economic system, the only way you can maintain peace and the only way you can maintain that system is if you create chaos below where you're not fundamentally looking at the unfairness of the system. I go back to the people who make the most. You're a professor. Hmm. I've written uh, many articles and I've placed in a couple of my books that I think the most important profession on this planet is teaching. Why? Because you're the one that's moving knowledge forward. You're moving the, you're, you're moving the intellectual uh, progress of that country forward. Yet, uh, you may be one of the highest paid professors. I don't know. But uh, teachers and professors and, and the like aren't rewarded as well as they should. We also go into uh, jobs where uh, people do a whole lot of, you know, the, the person who takes care of the kids of the billionaire, uh, they are still underperforming what should be done. So, I mean, we inherently have an economic system that does not reward those who produce. I also say sometimes put a farmer and a stockbroker on an island and put this put, split that island in two and whoever the, the person that's worth the most is the person who can survive that's not what is rewarded in our economic system so my question to you then mm-hmm. isn't it a fundamental issue with our economic system that creates though the chaos below racism and all the isms so that we don't look at what the problems really are problems really are yeah, that's a great observation. Um, you know, there's a there's a, um, a sort of an argument out there that says, you know, um, poverty exists because it actually serves a function, mm-hmm. and it's kind of along the lines of what you're saying. It, uh, you know, the argument would be that, you know, because we have poverty, we have folks that are. Are, uh, don't have many options. They have mm-hmm. to take these low-wage jobs. Um, that benefits us all. And what we do in this book is at the end of the book, we say, you know, we go through and we walk through all these different myths that we're talking about here. And the, the evidence is overwhelming that these myths do not hold water, that they are, they are really not the reality. So then the question is, well, if that's the case, why do these myths continue? Why do we continue to sort of have this perspective of, of poverty as you know individual failing and so on. And we ask this question, perhaps those myths have benefited certain groups, just kind of like what you're saying here. An example of that would be politicians have used 
the, uh, the, um, the idea of the welfare freeloader over and over again to score political points. Ronald Reagan did that, Bill Clinton did that, Donald Trump has done that. Um, you know, it serves somebody pur purpose. It also, to get to kind of what you're bringing up here is, if we say, well, it's really your fault, then that really serves the purpose of the status quo, which is more and more inequality. So those at the top can say, hey, it's not my responsibility. Um, that's too bad, you know, but, but really nothing needs to change. Well, that's a very convenient kind of way of thinking about it. And what we argue is that that is completely wrong, that because this is a structural problem, because this is a problem with, with the economic structure, that we all have a responsibility here in order to address this issue. Interestingly, I had uh, Dr. Richard Wolf on with me and we went into sort of a discussion as far as worth is concerned where we talked about um, whether you know Jeff Bezos owns $160 billion plus and whether that is really his money, whether that is his wealth, or is that really the parasite? Uh, is he a parasite? In other words, is he uh, making money off of everybody else? Which I think plays right into the poverty domain. And that uh, that monies that he has, uh, that monies that he have, is monies that he hadn't paid to his employees to take them out of your defined poverty. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you have to you have to stop and, and ask this question of, um, you know, you take the example of, of, of a CEO, you know, which is what you're kind of getting at here with Jeff Bezos. Um, in 1980, the average CEO earned about 40 times more than the average worker earned. Today, it's over 300 times. Mm -hmm. Now, is the CEO that much better than they were in 1980? No, I don't think so. And it's that all of these economic benefits have flowed to the top. And yes, I think there is something morally wrong with that. Um, you know, it's like, how much do you really need? And, um, and I think there is beginning to be a discussion about this, about this rising inequality. In fact, um, a, a book project that I'm working on now is really getting at and, and addressing this issue of rising inequality 
and the consequences that that has for America as a country. And the consequences are pretty dire. Um, you know, if we continue down this road of more and more inequality, we are going to see some really significant ramifications of that that are not that are not good that are quite negative. So um, yeah, and and you know you raise another interesting point, which is um, the value of work. I mean, to me, for example, somebody who's taking care of children at at, a, at an early age is really important. That's mm -hmm. really important work. Um, and yet we don't value it. They're some of the lowest paid workers in, in the country. So, you know, we, we really need to start thinking about our priorities here and getting those straight. You know, my, I, I used to say when my daughter was a kid, uh, my daughter spent more time at school. How can I complain when we're asked for a tax increase to make sure those who care for my most valuable asset yeah. is uh, spending time with them? But, you know, um, I think, I, I, there, there's one thing that I want to get out there, and I, I think we ought to start thinking so individual as we do. In other words, um, my success has been dependent on so many other people that absent what they've done, I would not be doing what I am able to do. Yours apply as well. And my success is completely dependent on the professors, the teachers, the candlestick maker, the bread. All these people played a part. And those who monopolize on on taking and taking uh, what they are in by definition, they are thieves by definition, just legal ones, but thieves. Um, look, we are getting close to the end of the interview. And before I close, I want, I always ask this question. What haven't I asked you that you would like to put out there? And uh, again, we'll, we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about or present your book to the folks at the end as well. Yeah, well, we've talked about it. You've, you've raised some excellent points um, and gotten to the heart of the matter. I guess uh, what, what I would sort of like to end on is uh, that I'm actually um, somewhat optimistic that, you know, folks like you, um, folks in, say, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, you know, are talking about these issues. And there are some ideas out there that, you know, a few years ago, we might have thought was just like crazy, the idea of a universal basic income. Oh, wow, uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, that that's like, you know, holy cow, that's, that's, that's pretty yes. radical. And, it, and now it's part of the discussion. And, you know, both President Biden and and Mitt Romney proposed a child allowance, which is a variation on the um, universal basic income. So um, and, and also um, the new administration has talked about the importance of raising the minimum wage to a more livable wage like $15 an hour. So I, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of hopeful that we are in a period where we could see some movement on these issues and begin to address these issues of poverty and inequality. Well, look, Professor, with, uh, with people writing books like you've written here, uh, with people talking about this issue, I am happy to say that I think uh, if, uh, we're in good hands. That uh, we we avoided fascism, so therefore we have a small window to get something done. And again, I say we have a small window to get something substantive done for all of America. I have a phrase I use, when we unite Appalachia, the ghettos and the barrios, it's, it's a 
uh, we would have won this case. And I think uh, some of these statements that I'm seeing about your book does exactly that. It makes us understand that really we are in the same boat Absolutely. and that the dead weight in that boat yeah. isn't the average person. The dead weight are those people on top. There you go. Dr. Mark Robert Rank, co-author of the book, Poorly Understood, What America Gets Wrong About Poverty People. Let me tell you something. Edu what we are going to do to win this, this battle, this war, is to get ourselves educated. When you have great guys like Dr. Mark Robert Rank putting books out like this, get it, because this is how we win the war. Dr. Mark Robert Rank, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Then Right. Oh, it's been a pleasure and uh, keep up your great work. Thank you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.